0: Welcome! Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and with me in our studios in Southern Illinois is our producer, Mason. And also joining us from somewhere in St. Louis County is Sean Campbell. How are you guys all doing today? I'm doing good.
1: Uh, Much better than I was doing on Saturday night, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, you
0: enjoyed the festivities a lot, didn't you? Apparently so.
2: I'm doing all right as well, just still working on voice recovery.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. there was that, a lot of yelling and screaming at the uh, Academy game, and we'll get into that very shortly. Take this moment, we really appreciate you all listening to us, and if you haven't already, please go ahead and just take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, and if you feel like it, please rate and review, it really does help us out. Also, a couple of notes about how this podcast is going to go, we are recording this Earlier than usual on Tuesday afternoon, we're going to have a little bit on the St. Louis City Academy and the St. Luligan's tailgate that we went to. We're going to go over uh, briefly on the MLS playoffs coming up uh, this weekend. We're going to look back at uh, Dosa Cerro, the USA's big win in Cincinnati against Mexico. And then we're going to take a break and we're going to watch the USA-Jamaica uh, game. Uh, and then we're going to come back and uh, record our follow-up thoughts right after the game. And just uh, producer Mason will do his uh, magic and just drop that in. And then we'll have this out at the regular scheduled time on Wednesday morning for you. Yep. If, I, if I do my job right, it should be like nothing happened at all. <laughs> anyway, let's get this ball rolling. It's time for the kickoff. This week, uh, St. Louis City Academy played. It was the St. Louis Academy Derby, Derby, however you want to call it, as the St. Louis City Academy kids, both 16s and 17s, went on to soccer park. Long road trip to take on St. Louis Scott Gallagher and MLS Next Action. And the first game was the U16s, and that was a fun, fun game. There was incredibly high intensity, Gallagher had a large crowd there at Soccer Park. Uh, It was back and forth, back and forth the whole game. And uh, at the end, and I'm sorry if I got this wrong, Mickey Joyner hit a ball in stoppage time, scored the goal, gave Scott Gallagher a 5-4 win. It also, I believe, uh, completed a hat trick for him. uh, For the St. Louis City Academy kids, Jackson Delkus had a goal or two and uh, was everywhere on the field. There was really high intensity in this game. A lot of the St. Louis City Academy kids had moved over to the MLS Academy from Scott Gallagher. So they're playing against their friends, uh, playing in front of their friends' families. And uh, there was a lot going on. I went there. We went there. I was going to be somewhat neutral. But when I saw how large the uh, crowd was for Gallagher, decided to root for the Academy kids. And there was a contingent of us there uh with the St. Louisigans rooting on the uh the St. Louis City Academy kids in this one and that was that was exciting. The second game didn't quite live up to that bill. Oh, in the uh forgot to mention this in the U16 game after uh Joiner scored the game winner at the death. Well, not quite at the death. There was still a little bit of time left, but the fans all rushed on the field and the officials had to usher them all off so they could finish up the game. That was exciting. Yeah interesting. In the second game, the U-17s, uh, the City Academy kids were, man, a menace with their intensity and presses. They really shut down uh, Scott Gallagher in this one as a cruise to a 6-1 win. Nathan Ferguson had a first half hat trick. Aaron Hurd had two goals. Uh, they just really looked like they ate him alive in this one. Maybe out of Scott Gallagher, all the intensity went in the U-16s. That really was a fun game to watch uh scott gallagher's kids played very well this is the you know high level of development i guess in the u.s with the mls next and uh so it was good to see a lot of good soccer out there on the field before the match uh also went with the st luligans supporter section for st louis city they had a tailgate there met a lot of uh regular listeners and hello to each one of you we talked to we really appreciate it met some new friends had a good time uh had a really lot of fun and we're really starting everything starting to gel together even this far in advance before you know the supporters section and st louis city starts and all the yelling and screaming is really going to be needed there any other uh, takeaways from the tailgate and the fun that we had for you guys
2: this is definitely the kind of environment you want to have for a for a derby like this. Uh, High-intensity games, sometimes high-scoring games, but the fans coming together and having a great time before, you know, yelling and screaming during the game. I really enjoyed it. Um, if you can't tell, my voice is still gone. So, But, yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to have another one.
0: Yeah, it's really hard to have a hostile environment like this when two St. Louis uh, academies and the kids are going at it. So it's really, you know... It was a lively, but it was a fun affair. Yeah, definitely a friendly rivalry. Um, Another, uh,
1: this is just great news. From the St. Luligan's tailgate, um, between merch sales, uh, money raised for the charity du jour, um, both just donations and through the tall boy roulette that they put on, and then also um, the... uh, The swap meet? The swap, yeah, the scarf swap slash yard sale thing they put on. Raised $434 for uh, St. Louis Food Bank.
0: So that's really great news. That well is great done, news. All going, all going back into the Academy as is their want with the St. Luligans. That's, that's great news. I'm glad you had that information. I failed to pick that up. Yeah, but no, Luligans once again doing great work to uh, to bring give back to the community. And that's what we had this weekend. There's not a lot of other St. Louis City news to pick up on this week. Perhaps a lull around the uh, holidays, we're going to see more. Uh, Charlotte FC, who will be starting play in 2022, they're really starting to pick up on information for them. That kind of gives us a timeline to what to expect in about a year from now. Uh, Other news that uh, get an idea of what kind of uh, budgets St. Louis City be working with, I believe December 12th, but mid-December, let's say, Uh, MLS will give out the numbers for the upcoming season. We'll see what Charlotte gets in extra allocation money. Uh, They did trade some of their allocation money already for international spots. Is that a good play? We'll find out. Um, We'll have more on that as um, we go forward, but wanted to touch on that and give you an idea of what's going on around the league. Because there's nothing going on around the league right now. But starting up this weekend, there will be as the MLF, MLS playoffs pick back up and they'll pick up on Saturday afternoon at uh, one thirty central time. Uh, Philadelphia Union will take on uh, Red Bull New York in what should be a thrilling game, a chaotic game, probably a big mess. Uh, I don't know who really to pick in this one. How's how's this long layoff going to affect any of these teams we talk about? Yeah, I was just thinking
1: the same thing. Of all the the playoff games that are coming up, I think this is the one that's going to be the most evenly matched or that could go either way.
2: I don't know about y'all. I got my money on Red Bulls. They're coming in hot. And, I mean, nothing against Philly. They're a good team. But uh, I I definitely think Red Bulls have the momentum. They're coming in hot. I've, I've got them as my pick.
0: Yeah, we'll see how uh, the layoff does. If one team it helps is the Red Bulls have made this late season run to get here based upon gelling and learning the intricacies of uh, the energy drink soccer that Red Bull and or Red Bull New York play. Uh, Could give them a time to gel together. Uh, We'll see. I believe that there is actually more talent on the Philadelphia Union, but a lot of that's tied up in kids. Uh, It'll be interesting. I really... I don't have a call. I'm just going to be an observer in this one. And then uh, later in the afternoon at 4 o'clock on Saturday, you'll see Sporting Kansas City uh, taking on the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, Vancouver's been playing quite well down the stretch. Uh, but Sporting Kansas City's played quite well all season. Little stumbles at the end. They've had some injury concerns. Uh, let me guess, uh, Sean, you're picking Vancouver in this one, yeah,
2: right? Uh, good one. Good one. Uh no, Vancouver. They've <laughs> been playing well lately. Worked on it all week. With uh, with our injuries, our injured players coming back, we should be getting our elite top three front three of Shalawi with Polito and Johnny Russell. I I don't see anyone being able to to shut down those all three of them at once. Um, I think this is gonna be a close one for sure, but it's definitely gonna be SKC.
0: Yeah, I'll pick SKC in this one. Yeah. I I don't even want to be contrarian
1: and pick Vancouver. I do think it will be close, and if Vancouver wins, it won't be as much of an upset as it might look on paper. But I'm thinking SKC is going to take it.
0: Going to have a lot of... I do think there's going to be a lot of Sporting KC fans very stressed throughout this game, though. I don't think it'll be a walkover. Uh, Sunday, pick up with a couple other games. Uh, This is a big one. New York City FC uh, hosting Atlanta. That comes at 2 o'clock on Sunday. And... I don't know why. I'm picking Atlanta in this one. But I have no real reason to tell you.
2: Well, I, for one, am going with NYCFC just because they're hosting it. And as has been shown all this year, you don't want to play them at home. And Atlanta, as we know, has been spotty this year. So my money's on New York.
1: My brain says New York. My gut says
0: Atlanta. So I don't know. We're... We're being bold picking Atlanta on the trapezoid field that is Yankee Stadium, however. I just somehow do think that uh, for some reason Atlanta with that attacking talent is going to gel instead of being too selfish. Maybe I'm being silly and stupid on this one, but that's my pick. I'm not putting any money on it, however. Important consideration to make. Then Sunday we go out to the Western Conference where uh, at 4.30 on Sunday, Portland— We'll be hosting Minnesota and the Loons, and this is a tough one. Neither one of these teams have really impressed solidly in long stretches throughout the season. Portland's been up and down. Sebastian Blanco coming back in has really bolstered them down the stretch, but they didn't really tear people apart, uh, tear people apart going down and running through it. Minnesota in some ways tried to give the way game away in the final game of decision day to the galaxy, but the galaxy was having none of that and they gave it back to Minnesota in that one. Uh, But I think Minnesota's roster, if they click, they play right. They're made more for one offs than they are during long stretches of the season. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, they're going to shock Portland in Portland.
2: Yeah, that's, that's my money too, because as as I would know as a fan of sporting, Minnesota has some sort of knack for just coming into big games in the playoffs and knocking someone off for no good reason. So I, I'm on the side of history here. Minnesota's taking this one.
1: I guess I'll be the contrarian and pick Portland, but that's just because I like Portland. I think that Minnesota is actually going to take it.
0: Oh, He must be thinking about Darren Espria for Portland in the playoffs where he becomes a monster, but he was kind of monster in the regular season. Maybe he's... Uh, Turn that around, and he won't be the uh, goal-scoring machine that he has proven to be in the past. Out of nowhere for Portland, we'll see how that goes. Uh, there's two other games during the uh, stretch. Here are the opening round. We won't be able to cover these on next week's show because they're going to happen at 7 p.m. and 9:30 p.m. on Tuesday after we record. Uh, Nashville's going to host Orlando. I don't see any way that Orlando beats Nashville.
2: Nah, no no way in hell is is Orlando cracking that defensive nut. Yeah,
0: if if any of these games here are a
1: lock, it's, it's this one and it's Nashville.
0: Yeah, the only hope Orlando has is Nani goes off and that frees up DK in the box. But Nashville should have enough to cover that, I would think, on defense as well. Uh, interesting one at 9.30 up in the Pacific Northwest, which is getting just dumped on with rain here recently. Seattle will be hosting uh, Real Salt Lake. Uh, Real Salt Lake is kind of a crazy team. They could play very well and then just get blown out in alternate games. Play pretty well against Sporting KC. Walked away with that one, uh, controversially. Uh, I guess it really depends if Seattle has, you know, all three DPs are out and Jordan Morris is left with the 25-minute cameo coming back off of uh, uh, surgery. RSL has a chance, but I'm going to pick Seattle in Seattle in the playoffs.
1: Ooh, brave pick.
2: Yeah. No, I'm picking Seattle, too. <laughs> you know, I think this one's going to be closer than it seems, but in the end, I, it, it pains me to say it, but I'm going to have to pick Seattle. But I would not be surprised if they get absolutely upset by, by Real Salt Lake.
0: I would not be upset either. Craylock, Dymere Craylock, and uh, Albert Rusnak really makes— RSL very frightening on the attack at times. And they can, uh, they can go against the run of play and take that lead against Seattle, and Seattle's been doing that a lot lately. And uh, Seattle hasn't been scoring like they were earlier in the season. If Ra- Raul Rideas is healthy, his goal-scoring record in the playoffs, though, is probably what's going to tip the edge on this one. That's why I'm going with Seattle. But I don't think it'll be close, but I am going with Seattle. Also, uh, over the weekend not in MLS, but with two MLS teams, it's the Canadian Championship. It's uh, played Sunday at noon. Montreal hosting Toronto in their little, uh, well, not little, quite big uh, derby there. Uh, both teams, Montreal definitely a better team than Toronto. I think uh, throughout the regular season, Toronto with more talent than Montreal. I don't have a pick in this one. It's a derby game. I just don't know. But the winner does get a slot in the uh, CCL uh upcoming. So that's important to know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think with that Champions Concacaf Champions League spot being up for grabs, I think Toronto pulls it out on this one. They pull out all the stops and absolutely take it to Montreal.
1: Wild call. Yeah. I mean, Toronto did outperform themselves down the stretch. I it wouldn't be that surprising. But I I think that this season, Montreal's just been the better team.
0: Nate, we're fading down the stretch, though, coming into this. But they will be at home, and it will be a very intense environment, I'm sure. So, no, I don't don't know. Uh, I'll see the score and read the stories afterwards. That's how I'm going to handle that one. Now, the big story over the weekend was not no MLS playoffs. And... As much as I'd like to think it was, it wasn't the St. Louis uh, Academy Derby. It was World Cup qualifying for the U.S. men's national team as they hosted Mexico at Cincinnati's TQL Stadium. Wow, did Cincinnati host a heck of a game. They were loud. That crowd was boisterous. It was very impressive. And uh, you probably all know, so I'm not going to spoil it here. If I did, where have you been? Uh, USA? go into Ohio, and they take it 2-0. Dos Acero again. And uh, quite an uh, exhilarating game for uh, American fans. Uh, not so for Mexican fans in this case, but uh, I will say that Sean Campbell did predict a Dos Acero sc- score scoreline, so kudos to you, There's Sean. just
2: something about Ohio that says Dos Acero, and I, I don't know how to
0: explain it. So, give a little rundown uh, quickly here. USA went with you know, uh, what turned out to be an extremely good lineup from Greg Berhalter this time. You had uh, Ricardo Pepe up front, Timothy Weah and Brennan Aronson on the wings. The MMA midfield with McKinney, Moose, and Adams. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin, not a real shock getting the uh, start on the at fullback uh, across from Anthony Robinson. Uh, Walker Zimmerman uh, started next to Miles Robinson. And Zach Steffen started in goal, something that I thought was going to happen because of Zeffen's ability to distribute and play with his feet, which was big in this one. Mexico was kind of hurting. They had people out, but they did start an uh, incredibly impressive uh, front line of Raul Jimenez, uh, Chucky Lozano, and Jesus Tecatito Corona up front. Their midfield, they still have Hector Herrera, Ache Ache, uh, Edison Alvarez in the back, Who's very good, Luis Roma, Romo, excuse me, was in this one instead of uh, their captain Andres Gallardo. Uh, uh, probably the thought is Guardado is getting a little old and he couldn't run with the young bucks on the USMNT. Uh, a very reasonable choice there. They have real problems at the fullbacks. Jayus uh, Gallardo and Chaca Rodriguez were playing on those edges, and then they had to go with a makeshift backline of Julio Dominguez and Johan Vasquez. Uh, playing in front of uh, Memo Ochoa, uh, Guillermo Ochoa, and Guillermo means William in Spanish. And I would like everyone to now call him Billy Ochoa, <laughs> and he could say it to himself when he looks himself in the mirror.
2: I second the motion.
0: All right, there we go, Billy Ochoa, and go. In this one, uh, U.S. came out known for their slow starts. They came out hot. They were pressing Mexico. They were on them. And uh, they kept some possession, quite a bit of possession, early on. Uh, Sloppy, passes not going where they needed to, sometimes losing the ball. Tyler Adams was particularly sloppy with his passes early on, and that led to a couple of chances for Mexico. Uh, In the first half, a lot of people said Mexico really had the run of the game. I didn't see it that way. I thought, if anything, it was a pretty even affair. Mexico had two of the best chances, but they were on breaks. They never really broke the U.S. down. I heard people say Mexico's in control of the game. I didn't think either team was really in control of this game. It came and went. It had a nice flow. It was, even Greg Berhalter at halftime goes, a very exciting game. Yeah. A lot of fun.
1: Yeah. I, I felt like that first half was pretty evenly matched, but it was building up to some heartbreak for the U.S., which luckily didn't come to pass, but that was kind of, that was kind of what
0: I was seeing. Uh, yeah, they had a wonderful chance with uh, Chucky Lozano on a break. Uh, just, my heavens, Mexico played that break so well. It was like a one-touch pass to a one-touch pass, back in the middle, one-touch pass, and then an absolutely beautiful ball uh, to Lozano from Edson Alvarez uh, to get him out on the run. Uh, he had a step, he had the inside on DeAndre Yedlin in this one, but Yedlin didn't check off. He didn't do anything else. He wasn't beaten that badly. And he used his biggest attribute he has on the field. He used his speed. He caught up, took away the far post, uh, from, uh, Lozano. Zach Steffen saw this. He hung back in the goal, waited to see where it was going to go, made himself big. Lozano's really in trouble. Yedlin makes a late, uh, Challenge on the ball, late tackle, and Lozano k- ended up kicking it right at Steffen. Uh, very frightening uh, passage of play there, uh, but the U.S. did well to recover, and Yedlin and uh, Steffen, you know, it was a beautiful play by Mexico, and the U.S. had enough to snuff it out, or at least force a uh, a weaker shot than you'd expect from Lozano on this one. There was also a great chance for uh, Tecatito Corona uh, that he just missed in this half but that was really it we probably were a little more scared of mexico at this point than what we were actually seeing on the field and that's it's kind of the feeling i got from the announcers in the booth during the game uh at halftime berhalter said that uh the u.s needs to be more patient in attack they're passing out when they have the numbers he may have been talking about too many just blind crosses into the box instead of working allowing players to run in the box. So however it worked, as often as happened under Greg Barhalter, this team came out in the second half, and man, from the opening kick, they just bossed it. They just took control of this game and never let it go. I don't know about, Sean, have you ever seen the U.S. have that sort of possession and just dominance over Mexico for as long of a stretch of play as that was in the second half of this game?
2: I I don't. Remember ever seeing a game where we've done that and just absolutely manhandled Mexico in possession? Um, I, I I don't think I've ever seen it. I'm not sure if anyone else has. If you have, please let me know. Uh, but it definitely was uh, exciting to watch. It was great to watch, knowing that we have that capability to just hold onto the ball, pick pick apart their midfield like it was, you know, picking popcorn out of a bowl. It was absolutely wonderful to watch how frustrated Mexico got. And as they got more frustrated, their chances just went away.
1: Yeah, what game was it in the last window where we did that and held possession
0: for what felt like 15 minutes? Was that the Canada game? Oh, Canada, we had the possession, but it was useless possession. Uh, Had a lot of possession against Jamaica, but we'll probably see that again uh, tonight as we're recording on it. But against Mexico we were doing things in that second half that Mexico always does to everybody. Uh, they couldn't get it out of the box. They couldn't get it out of their half. the U S was winning all the one-on-one duels getting out. They were always in the place to take away the outlet passes of Mexico. They just, Mexico was pinned in and couldn't get out. And I've never, I mean, I've been playing, paying a lot of close attention to U S men qualifying since, uh, 2014 that, uh, world cup qualifying window and i've never seen anything like this i, I outside of the world cup i don't even in the world cup i don't know if i've ever seen anybody really dominate possession like the u.s did in especially the first 20 minutes of that second half and the other big point on this is they were doing it without christian pulisic he's healthy but he's not fit so they held him back but he did come on in the 69th minute and uh At this point, the play kind of went away. The U.S. didn't have the possession. They had had a lot of chances, but maybe rushing the shot a little uncomposed. But they were making chances over and over and over. People in dangerous spots. But one of them this time, uh, Timothy Weah, who was just a terror uh, on the uh, right-hand side of the field on the wing, just gets down, beats the player from Mexico, I believe it was Dominguez, Got about a half step on him, got down to the end line, and found himself a little window with his technical ability. Got a cross off right in the box. Christian Pulisic had read it. He was there. He beat everybody to the ball, headed it into the goal, and the U.S. had the lead. Took it till the 75th minute, but all during the second half, it looked like this goal was coming, and it was there.
2: It just happened to be, you know, America's super sub. Superman enters the pitch. Yeah, takes five minutes to get a lay of the land and boom, back into that. Love to see it.
0: And, uh, yeah, uh, the back line of Mexico got exposed here. It's really something coming out in the second half. that seemed to be that, uh, Berhalter had told him your backline's not good. Run, get in the box, put pressure on these, uh, s- center backs, uh, beat the, uh, wing backs who are a tad slow and, uh, their weak point on their team, try to beat them. Uh, Pulisic uh, just toasted Chaka Rodriguez on this. None of the center backs covered him. He flashes across the goal, gets to the cross, beautiful cross from Weah, and heads it right in the goal. And it was great because Pulisic hasn't scored for the U.S. on a run-of-play goal in a couple of years, I believe. And coming back, he's had a little rough time with injuries, hasn't been terribly effective so far in this window for the U.S. in World Cup qualifying. So it's really great to see him come on and do that u.s uh after this mexico got some possession u.s pragmatic backed off a little weren't going to expose themselves but mexico was not threatening i, I don't remember ever being threatened at this stage of the game at all uh and uh then they got to, kept pushing and prodding and getting into positions and then they uh pinged a ball kind of a Half break off of a win in the midfield again, win of a one-on-one uh, uh, challenge. They get the ball. They ping it forward. They get it into the box. It pings around. It gets open, and McKinney's the first one to react, steps in front of everybody, and beats uh, Billy Ochoa for the goal, and we got Dos Cero. and you can imagine the crowd went nuts then. The chants were ringing all across the Midwest at that point, or all across the country. And from this point, it was just pretty much straightforward. I think Mexico finally got a shot off once near the end of the game. Uh, The U.S. pretty much closed them out. Actually, the best chance came to Jesus Ferreira, who came in as a late sub. He clanged the woodwork with a a heck of a shot, but just off. Uh, Also, keeping up a a theme of the Dos Acero games is... Somebody from the U.S. comes really close, but doesn't quite score that third one and keeps that score line the same. Uh, somebody should put together a montage. Perhaps with the Meat two out of three ain't bad is the background music on that one.
2: It's just a warning shot. That's all it is. It's like, hey, we could score again if we wanted to, but I'm missing for yeah. the meme. I'm missing for the meme. <laughs>
0: yeah. it, it, it does feel like it. Like when Quentin Dempsey stoinked that uh, penalty... That would have made it a three-zero. I believe that was in Columbus, that time. And kept it a dosa Everybody wondered if he missed it on purpose, which was really simply uh, silly, because Clint Dipsy never, ever missed a shot on purpose. Probably even when he was eight. There was some cocky kaffy stuff. Uh, Sean mentioned it earlier when uh, Mexico got, uh, you know, a little upset, getting a little desperate. We get into some extracurriculars here. Yeah, and who's in the middle of it? Brendan Aronson, who didn't have a very impactful game. Most of the game went down the other side with uh, Yedlin and uh, Weah on the right. But he's just, uh, as I think Berhalter said, he's just a pain to play against because he never stops running. And there was a foul on the side. And I guess Chaka Rodriguez just had had enough of him. This was interesting. The play's down. He takes him down. They're standing there. He's got like his hands around uh, Aronson's head. McKinney's in his face. There's this little bit of a scrum going on. The official's trying to break that up. Meanwhile, Chaka Rodriguez takes, while the official's eyes are up, takes his hand down and digs his fingernails in like uh, Aronson's eyes and pulls up on him. There's no VAR in World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF. No way to review this. The official didn't see it. Uh, a definite red card offense on this play. And that started a big scrum, uh, which was kind of a big deal. Uh, Chaka Rodriguez got a yellow card, but not a red card. Zach Steffen ran all the way across the field. He got a yellow card for that. You could see the official giving him a yellow card and pointing him back to get back in your goal. And Weston McKinney, as is his want, right in the middle of it all. Probably remembering all the times they've gri- grabbed him around the neck and got away with a yellow card. He got a yellow card, and that's a big deal. That's his second yellow card in World Cup qualifying, so he's suspended for tonight, Tuesday night's game against Jamaica, because CONCACAF has this silly rule that if you get two yellow cards in all of qualifying, you miss the next game. That's a little harsh. I don't know why they have that rule.
2: It wouldn't be CONCACAF without it, though.
0: Despite the official missing that, and it's actually, you can kind of see how they he could. Also, from the viewpoint and the announcers in the booth, they couldn't really tell in real time what happened either. It was only on replay, but that's why you have VAR is the official's eyes can't be anywhere. He was already dealing with something going on. And, uh, the Mexico player just reaches his hand down, just grabs him up by the eyebrows and tries to pull his head off. You know, like normal play.
1: What's a, what's a little
0: attack of opportunity between friends? Uh, I did think the official did a pretty good job of managing this game, though. Uh, He didn't call a lot of fouls. There was some rough play. Uh, But it wasn't as bad as we've seen in a couple other recent uh, USA-Mexico games. Uh, He played advantage. He kept the flow of the game going. There wasn't a lot of starts and stops. The teams got to play. It was especially apparent in the first half because there was a lot of back-and-forth play in that. And that was, even though it was nil-nil and... Really nervy for uh, an American fan. It was an exciting, well played first half. Second half was even more fun for an American fan.
2: Yeah, definitely don't want to let that one missed moment that wasn't even hundred percent his fault for missing it uh, tarnish the rest of the game. Because I don't say this often, but the ref did a, a pretty good job outside of that. So don't don't let that one moment, you know, ruin the whole game for him.
0: It really comes down to CONCACAF at least not ponying up or enforcing VAR in all these games. It's too important. That's just, it's just inexcusable. Going to wrap this up a little bit. We got to get ready and prepare ourselves for the Jamaica game. But a couple of things I definitely want to say, and I see if you guys disagree with this. I doubt it. Berhalter really, really, really nailed it this game.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Best, best 11 were on the field, and they did their job.
0: Uh, The ones that were iffy, Zach Steffen and Goal, people wanted Turner, but I know why he got him. The way the U.S. was breaking the press throughout the game was they used Steffen as a fourth guy back there. So when they pressed him, they'd just pass it back to Steffen like he's a field player, and he'd make another pass over on the other side. He wasn't flawless. He made a couple of great saves, uh, had a couple of other passes, but he just did a very good job, was very calming, and they used him in his ability to pass that he's been training at man city manchester city in the epl they use that to their advantage uh, also deandre yedlin talked about the one he got burnt by chucky lozano but used his speed got back forced out the far post showed really a lot that he's learned a lot since uh 2014 when he's just a young kid with a lot of pace uh back then showed a lot there allowed stefan to command his box, and uh, snuffed out that chance. It was frightening, but they did a very good job of making it very hard on Lozano. It was not a sitter for him. Uh, Walker Zimmerman was a monster. Raul Jimenez, coming back from a cracked skull, very physical in the box. Those two fighting for headers the whole game was kind of fun to watch. They were going at it pretty hard. Zimmerman just seemed to be everywhere. He really had a good game. Eunice Musa, Uh Yunus Musa is this generation's Darlington Nackby. Wouldn't you say, Sean, you can't get the ball off him.
2: Oh, absolutely. Kid's absolutely fantastic in the midfield. Had a great game. You love to I love to watch him play. He's good. He's fast. He's very good with his with his uh his distribution. His passes are were really good. They were on point. They got where they were going, and some of them were pretty incisive very good addition to this midfield
0: and his ability to just push it forward on the dribble and one thing he has over Nagbe da- nagby is he's a little bit bigger and stronger and can force people off they're trying to challenge him to get him off the ball he just pushes them out of the way uh, and he's only 18 he's not fully there's still more parts to his game he can really improve on but he's now already an integral part of this team not a way a timothy way is absolutely the man of the match he just terrorized just terrorized mexico down the wing put in that beautiful cross on an excellent play uh to beat his man and get the cross off right onto pulisic's head absolutely the best i'd say zimmerman was second if i had to say uh bad performances not really tyler adams was shaky with his distribution in the first half uh anthony robinson didn't stand out, but he was a terror on defense and streaking down his lines as well. Uh, Brendan Aronson, the game went away from him. He didn't have much to show, but he's running everywhere. They weren't at their best, but it didn't matter because collective was great. And uh, they were well coached. Burhalter had the plan to try to get the ball up, do one on one duels against Edson Alvarez because he's a single pivot, the lone man right in front of the center backs at the back of the defense. He's very good. But he's the only one. So U.S. used their physicality advantage, try to get the headers and not just knock them away. Actually put them into space around Alvarez that they could exploit. Took a little time, but that really came to the fore later in the game.
2: I believe the term we're looking for is verticality. And we saw it again Verticality.
0: And not just verticality. Uh, what he was really referring to is instead of standing around and being static, everybody run in the box. Actually, when Pulisic scored, he was the only one that ran. Nobody else did. Might have opened up space, actually, for Pulisic rather than have people running in that particular case. But there was a lot of people running and chances. A lot of passes that tried to get through, especially in the first half, that just didn't get there. They relied a little too heavy on the crosses in the first half, but there was a lot of this interaction. And the team really is starting to look cohesive rather than just a bunch of talents out there trying to play together. They really look like they are starting to develop uh, interplay with certain partners and have getting a feel. They're not there yet. Not like Mexico was on that break. That was beautiful, but they're getting there. And for such a young team, that's it, that has played so little together. That's exciting. Now, as we mentioned, uh, Oh, we didn't mention at the end of the game, Miles Robinson got a second yellow card of the game. So with red, co- with, the red card subsequent. Uh, he is also out for Jamaica. Berhalter made a change coming into tonight, Tuesday night's game against Jamaica. Brought in James Sands. He can either be a backup at center back or also, you know, help cover as a central defensive midfielder if need be. Uh, I believe Chris Richards. I believe unless training's just gone awry for him, I believe he'll start over Mark McKenzie as the center back tonight. Is that what uh, you think, Sean?
2: Oh, yeah, I'd agree. Um, honestly, why bring the kid in if he's not going to actually get any sort of playing time whatsoever? Uh, and he's shown real well at clubs, so give him the shot, especially in a game game like tonight where we're playing Jamaica. It's not, a, not necessarily a have-to-win game, and it's no offense to Jamaica, but they're not exactly as dangerous as, say, Mexico or Canada. So... I, I definitely give him the start.
0: And uh midfield, uh it's at the Jamaican uh National Stadium in Kingston, otherwise known as the office. Uh the pitch there, the field itself is considered to be pretty poor. Um so taking McKinney's place in midfield, you kinda want of to see John Luca Busio, but if the field's not really up to his you know technical type passing. Uh, that's a strength of his game being in the midfield. Perhaps he goes with the old head of Kellen Acosta or to replace uh, uh, McKinney's ability to do do right late runs in the box and be a scoring threat. That would be Sebastian Legette because that's Le- Legette's best part of his game for this team. But if uh, Jamaica bunkers, Legette's not a big help in that. I'm going to guess Acosta.
2: We all know where my money is. <laughs> We all know who I think is
0: starting. And so, we're about ready to wrap up this part, and then we'll take a break, watch the Jamaica game, and come back. A couple of things I'm looking for in the Jamaica game myself is I'm smelling a trap game here. I'm really worried about this. It's a young team just coming off a huge win in front of a large, rabid crowd. All that excitement, all that adrenaline, uh, now going down to Jamaica playing against a team they already beat. Only 5,000 people in the stands at the office tonight. And Jamaica is playing much better than they did when the U.S. beat them earlier in qualifying. They've got Mikayla Antonio and Leon Bailey coming from the English Premier League. They'll be in the lineup. They've got that speed. They've got other good players on this team. It's not a walkover. If the U.S. stays cohesive, they don't come out really slow and dead, Uh, they should win this game. But if they do any of that, man, it's just you could almost feel when they walk out with 5,000 fans there after that big win that this young team might not bring it. Berhalter did warn them, he said, right after, immediately coming in the locker room, let this go, get ready for Jamaica. But you see it happen all the time with young teams. The ups and downs can get to them. That's what you know. all those years of experience do for you. You turn to you start to learn to even it all out. Anything special you're looking for in this game, Sean?
2: Honestly, I'm just looking for them to be able to, like you said, come off this, that big win and actually put together a cohesive effort. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not as strong as it was against Mexico. And we might see um, a one, one draw, a two, two draw, but I I think it's going to end up being two, one in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, I just want to see him come out and actually put in an effort instead of, you know, having that hangover.
0: Yeah. I agree. And I think we all do. Well, I think that'll wrap up this part of the show. We're going to go ahead and take a little break in recording and uh, we'll watch the Jamaica game and come back and give you our uh, 50 cents uh, immediate analysis afterwards and be ready for you to listen to on Wednesday. We'll see you after the game. Well, welcome back from the break, lovely listeners. Uh, We just watched... Jamaica hosts the U.S. men's national team. And if I don't sound very excited, well, the game wasn't very exciting. Uh, In this case, the U.S. was able to eke out a draw, 1-1 against Jamaica. Uh, Brilliant passage of play, Tim Weah, very early on, what, in the 10th minute or so, got a goal for the U.S., they're up 1-0. About 10 minutes later, Michaela Antonio, West Ham uh, striker for Jamaica, Gets the ball about 34, 40 yards away from the goal. Uh, Makes a really nice move to get separation from Tyler Adams. And let's go a flipping rocket into uh, uh, top bends on this one with a nice curving shot. It was a superbly taken goal. Uh, Really, in my mind, there's nothing that Stefan could do on that one because it came out of nothing. The U.S. came out early had energy and intensity, were putting Jamaica under pressure. Uh, Jamaica looked, quite frankly, pretty terrible at this point, disjointed on defense. The U.S. was kind of lively, putting pressure on, and then all of a sudden, Michaela Antonio hits this goal, and it just seemed to deflate uh, the U.S. team. There was drama and a whole lot of fouls for the rest of the game, but it did finish with a 1-1 draw. The U.S. do take four points from this two-game qualifying window. They won their game at home and drew on the road, the usual template for any team in CONCACAF to qualify for World Cup qualifying. So you take it, and you walk on. What were your impressions of this game, Sean?
2: Uh, Turner would have saved that goal. <laughs> yeah, geez. Sorry, loved to have seen I, it. I added. I had to do my best soccer Twitter impersonation, even though I'm not on it. I hope no, it
0: you got it. On. You got it exactly right. <laughs> if if he would have saved that goal, that that would have meant that he would have left somebody wide open at a post to take a pass instead of a 34 yard rocket that no one's expecting. Uh, yeah, those sort of things are myopic in my view. So we'll go on. It just for Michaela Antonio. I'll just tip my cap and call him my daddy, because that's what you want your best player to do, and he did it.
1: It was an absolute galazzo. What are you supposed to do? I And yeah, he just turned and burned Adams, and everyone's in transition. No one's expecting it, and yeah, just, yeah, you can't ask for anything better than that if you're the striker, and it's a really bad turn of fortune for us, but nobody really did
0: anything wrong. It's like you're just hanging out, watching the game, All of a sudden, whip, bang, dang, they tied it up. Well, what you're supposed to do is then pick yourself up off the floor, say, great players make great strikes, and you move on. But uh, that wasn't all of it. They didn't. I was afraid that this is the second youngest uh, lineup the U.S. has ever had in World Cup qualifying. And to be quite honest, they look like it. They look like a team that just spent a lot of energy both physical and emotionally in the huge win against Mexico and came out with that same sort of swagger. But once they took a punch in the mouth, they kind of backed off and got a little timid is the way I would look at it. Uh, as a matter of fact, after his goal, the only time the U.S. really had a great run of where they looked like they were going to do something was as the subs were getting ready to come in, Pulisic and uh, who was it, Ariola. Came in around the sixty fifth, sixty seventh minute. It'd be uh, Pulisic and Acosta. Acosta, that's who it was. Ariola came in later, uh, but the U.S. was again holding possession, not getting a lot of goal dangerous looks out of it, but were really piling on the pressure and going to pressure and try to break the defense. And then the subs came on, and all that fell apart, and it just Jamaica pretty much had the run of the play for the rest of the game from that point on. Pulisic coming on at this point really had very little impact on the game. He got kicked a lot, but never really made an impact on the game.
2: Yeah, you almost wish we could have seen the other super sub and seen legit the glue guy come on. Or maybe even, was Roldan on the bench for this game too, or no?
0: I'm not sure. I'm not sure that any of them would have helped. There was a collective yawn from this game. Like, they were so collectively great against Mexico, this one, they just didn't have it. If you've ever played sports, uh, you've been in that situation when you have a huge win uh, with a raucous home crowd. You go to another place's stadium, and there's hardly anybody there, and you're supposed to beat them. There's just naturally often a letdown, especially with younger players. It just happens, and that's what we saw.
2: I will say this though, this game isn't all negatives. Just because we, you know, only got one point, uh, one point that I'd like to point out is Pepe, with his holdup play, he seems to be showing a lot more of, a lot more progression in that area, and that's if nothing else, a good sign to to take away from this game that we can look forward to in the next window and even into, if slash when we we qualify
0: yeah he was kind of taken out of the play out of the game, though. there was just a lot of blind crosses, not a lot of movement in the box either from Pepe Aaron. It just seemed like uh everybody was leggy and tired, and the steamy heat in Kingston had him down and it was a Dosisera hangover as I read on Twitter from someone. uh sorry if I didn't mention you uh that's what we saw,
1: yeah, I mean. Pepe, uh was was instrumental in all of the us's best chances and in the goal but i mean it was like two chances and one goal and he had a role in both chances but that's about it the, nobody had an impact on this game really except for Pepe and way in the first half because uh uh Wea, uh it was a give and go Wea to Pepe and then laid it back onto Weya, who then dribbled around and got the got the goal in the eleventh minute. And then I don't even remember exactly when, but Pepe uh had like a kind of a short cross to Weya, who then put it what, almost on frame, and that was the probably the best
0: chance after the goal. Yeah, and that other was other than Bucio taking a shot from outside the box and just put it mm-hmm. over the bar. Forgot about that. Yeah, could have really used that Wonder Strike.
2: It's almost like we should have had him taking those free kicks instead of Pulisic in the second half.
0: Possible. Who can say? Not sure there was a lot in the cards tonight. The fates were... Forces were aligned against us. Uh, But uh, with the refereeing in CONCACAF on the road, forces were aligned with us. As uh, there was a shout for a handball in the box, was it Chris Richards that it came off of? Kind of deflects. He's got his arm up against his body. He tilts sort of his shoulder into it. A lot of observers thought that that was definitely a handball. But uh, on the CBS Paramount Plus broadcast, their Christina Uncle was their referee you know, expert that came on. And she goes, no, to me, that's not. They've given us this in context. He's got the arm up against his body. There's a deflection. He's making a step. She says, that's a fine no call for me.
1: Yeah, and we were all looking at we were all watching the game together together. We all looked at that and we all went, Yeah, that could have gone either way, even with V A R. Who knows? Cause yeah, it was up, it was in his silhouette, it was tight to his body, but he also leaned into it. Who knows? That we've seen we've seen that exact play go both ways many times.
0: And uh the laws of the game are really iffy and poorly written on this, and they can't really figure it out how to get it right. Uh You do it too loose, and then everybody's swatting the ball away, and we've seen a little of that, especially for years in the English Premier League. There was a lot of that sort of gamesmanship going on. You do it too tight, and the defenders can't defend. It's a sweet spot, and it's really hard to put that written down and get it to all the officials around the world. They call it the same way. It's not working. You just got to keep working at it and hope you get lucky and get it right sometime. The bigger one, though, was at the very end of the game when uh, Jamaica had a corner and they sent the ball in, they got the header and it went in the goal, but you heard the whistle and you kind of didn't get too excited. And then the replay shows that, yeah, there was some jostling in the box. I uh, don't remember who the goal scorer for Jamaica was, but he got up over uh, uh, Walker Zimmerman in this case, who didn't get the win the header and put it in the goal. But it was deemed a foul on him for jumping on Zimmerman's back. Uh, Christina Uncle also said on this, she goes, where the referee was across, couldn't tell if the one arm didn't push uh, Zimmerman away and keep him from making a play on the ball. Zimmerman seems to have sold it pretty well. And Christina Uncle did say that, uh, you know, yes, should not have been called. It should have been a goal. But she also said the association's not going to think much of this. And she said if it went to VAR, more than likely they wouldn't have overruled the call on the field. Because it wasn't, it it looked like a foul. In replay, possibly didn't hit him, but uh, it wasn't clear and obvious that the referee had made a mistake from where he was standing. There was no word on if the referee was in a poor position. He's outside the box. He's got a lot to watch. I'm not a referee expert. I don't know on that.
1: We got a big break on that one.
0: Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's a trap game, but uh, we got lucky. We'll take the point, then we'll walk out the door. Uh, Jamaica, I have to say, they're defending. They're athletic. They can get in position. Uh, Positionally, they run up against you, but what they're extremely good, and I've noticed that the last three times we played, they're very good about just as you go to pass, you're sticking a foot out and knocking the ball away. They did that a lot in this game. Uh, they fouled a lot. The pitch was terrible. It was. I've seen a lot of World Cup qualifiers and the U.S. on the road, and it looked like a road qualifying match. On a terrible pitch, uh, opponent just out the hack-a-shack. Basically, everyone on the, out there, see what they can get away with. Uh, tell you how ugly it was uh xg which is expected goals an idea of where the shots are coming from and how much you expect them a team to score or a player and the it, whatever it is but in this case it's on the team the u.s only had nine shots with an expected xg of 0.6 which is not the worst in qualifying the panama game was far worse jamaica had six shots they had a 0.78 xg which is not good uh but they had .63 of that .78 on a shot that Bobby Reed had in the box, had it open, and skied it over the top of the uh, goal. Another one the U.S. got away with. So that basically puts the whole rest of the game, they were expected to score .15 goals. Of course, if you got Michaela Antonio sending a rocket out from 34 yards, that that doesn't rate high on XG. You don't expect that goal to come in. No one did, but he did it. I mean, you know hats off to him for that and they're just looking through my notes if there's much else i'm seeing uh the u.s didn't have a lot of set pieces they just it was just a scrum basically in the midfield jamaica ended up with more and more possession but the u.s actually had more possession in the game but the u.s started off world cup qualifying being excellent on set pieces we saw it in the nation's league and the gold cup this summer Lately, their delivery's been off. The players aren't in position. They've got to get better on that, their defending's getting worse as well. But, you know, it's a long time until late January. We got four points. We're in good shape to qualify, no matter what anybody else does tonight, Panama and Canada and Mexico. We're in okay shape. I'm not going to lose sleep all the way till January because of this result. It's not inspiring, uh we got lucky we'll take it we'll walk out and go away
1: yeah i i said that like you know the most reasonable expectation we had was four points in this window we got it just kind of in reverse i yeah i do not i wasn't happy with what we saw tonight but there we we got our four points
0: yeah we did any other takeaways from this one
2: nothing from me
0: yeah that. That sleepy little pause that kind of summed up the whole game. Uh, so we're going to wrap this one up. Not a very in-depth uh, review of this game, but uh, Not probably about as in-depth as it should have on that. Uh, just want to let you know, uh, thank you all for listening to the Soccer Capital Podcast. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason.
2: And I'm your resident hooligan, Sean.
0: Thanks for listening. Bye for now.